the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Welcome back to the program, Mr. Peter Kersenam, one of my other favorite guys to talk to, and hopefully uh, one of your favorite guys to listen to, as he filled in for me this past Friday uh, here on The Authority. Hey, Pete, what's going on, my friend? Hey, not much. Uh, Great bumper music. Welcome back uh, from your trip to uh, Florida. What was it like? Uh, It was free. It felt like freedom. <laughs> Ron DeSantis land is free. That's the best way I can describe it. Uh, it was a, it was a really a glorious thing to experience, and uh, and I hope uh, more states will uh, you know will follow suit. Uh, you know, it's 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 really an amazing thing. You know, Pete, we say tongue in cheek somewhat. Uh, you know, but but you look at the way that state is run. You look at the way this state is run by Mike DeWine. You would think they would be similar. They're both Republicans. Should have similar ideological perspectives, certain values, and so forth. Um, and they're just night and day, just night and day. Florida, with its high population of senior citizens and retirees, which, of course, were the most vulnerable to the, uh, you know, COVID-19 symptoms, um, you know, they, they ended all of their lockdown nonsense and all of their mask nonsense and all of these other precautions so long ago, you would think that with that high vulnerable population, it would have been a disaster. Instead, it was just the opposite. Meanwhile, here in Ohio, Mike DeWine was waited until the very last second, until the CDC did their little vaccine. If you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask guidance uh, uh, before before Mike DeWine would do anything. Yeah, increasingly, all these institutions and these elected officials who were going along with, quote, unquote, the science have proven themselves to be, I'm going to try to be charitable here. I can't think of the appropriate adjective, but folks, I'll, I'll go in the other opposite direction. The folks like uh, DeSantis, who used their brains. Yeah, they looked at all the guidances, and they examined them, they weighed them, they made their own determinations, and that's just it. They made their own determinations using free will as free people mm-hmm. and came down on the side of freedom. And it turns out that freedom, in this particular case, and in most cases, prevails. So uh, yeah, I think it's a great example to Americans. DeSantis, I don't want to you know, engage in hagiography of, of anybody at, at this particular point. I know he's a, a darling of many conservatives, and I like him a lot. I, haven't seen, I have no complaints about him. I, just, uh, I take a wait-and-see attitude with respect to everybody because we've seen over the years that individuals who have been touted as being the next savior of the, you know, of the republic have been uh, great disappointments, uh, even on the conservative side. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue to watch DeSantis. So far, I see nothing that says that this guy's nothing other than a rock-ribbed conservative and a very smart guy. Yeah, he's the real deal, and he is doing something new every single day to prove that. I mean, not, he lets no grass grow beneath his feet. He is always on the move, forward-thinking with respect to responding to, you know, uh, the protection of girls' sports, uh, to, of course, the COVID-19 policies, to uh, big tech, uh, clamping down on big tech, to threatening any business in Florida, and that includes the cruise industry that 
that ports in Florida, anybody who asks people to show proof of a vaccine will be fined $5,000 for each time that they ask. And that made the cruise industry change their entire policy. Now you no longer have to show that you've been vaccinated to go on a cruise out of Florida. I mean, everything that is an issue in this country right now, DeSantis has been all over. So while I don't want to... Yeah, yeah and it's been critical race theory also. You know, he's been all that was yep. first, you know. And in addition, you know, what, one of the things I really liked is when he was asked, and I, don't, I think it was by Tucker or somebody, when he was asked about the uh, transgender uh, issues with respect to girls' sports and the fact that, you know, a number of states, you know, you saw in, in South Dakota, for example, Christy Nome uh, caved um, to the powers that be, you know, the big corporations who said, and, and the NCAA who said, you know, if you pass this bill, we're going to boycott your state. I'm not sure if they said it just like that, but that's what was implied. Yeah. And so when DeSantis was asked whether or not he was concerned about the same happening to Florida, he goes, no, I'm not concerned at all. If that's what they want to do, it's not going to change anything that we're going to do at all. And what he did there was laid a marker that told everybody, take your best shot. We don't care, you know, which told them, you know, it's, it's frankly futile to take your best shot. So he has to understand, he understands, and I wish other governors understood that they wield a lot of power and they shouldn't cowardly cave to these corporations these woke corporations or other special interest groups and do the right thing and when you announce it ahead of time and say this is what we're going to do and you know save your ammunition because it's not going to change our policy these folks aren't even going to put out the effort to try to change it and that's what's happening in florida very instructive Yes, indeed it is. And uh, I got to tell you, I am a massive fan of Ron DeSantis, and I don't want to engage in hagiography, as you call it, which is a word most of us don't even know, but I took it from context. Uh, I, I love him in 24, and uh, I don't know how things are going to shake out. There's a long time between now and then, but as of right now, I absolutely love the idea of his name at the top of a ticket with the full and complete and total backing of a kingmaker named Donald Trump rather than uh, once and future king. So, uh, all right, Peter Chris, now let's dive into uh, the current president of the United States. Joe Biden said over the weekend that the great, or actually toward the end of last week, that the greatest threat that this country faces is white supremacy. More than anything else, let's give this a listen. White supremacists are the greatest threat in this country. As I said in my address to the joint session of Congress, according to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Not ISIS. Not Al-Qaeda, white supremacists. I'm, I'm kind of curious, Pete, and I know you responded to this a little bit on Fox uh, over the weekend, uh, and you can do so again here, but I'm kind of curious what uh, on what crime statistics and yeah. violence statistics is the president and or the intelligence agencies basing such a an almost insane statement upon? Uh, none. None whatsoever. I, I look at the crime statistics regularly. My assistant provides them to me in, in digested form because for a number of years now, these statistics have been distorted and lied about by politicians for political gain. And as I said on Fox, I said the president is either lying or he's galactically ignorant or both. The fact of the matter is that there is no statistical evidence that to support his claim. In fact, just the opposite. I, I'm 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 always baffled. I keep asking, what statistics are these individuals referring to? And you have to come to the conclusion. It's it's very difficult for me as somebody who has grown up in this country and tried to give people the benefit of the doubt who are in political office to accept the fact that people will bald-faced lie on a regular basis. But 
You know, uh, that's what's been happening to us for quite some time, and the media goes along with it. The media does not challenge this. It works to their political benefit because they're trying to drive a narrative that helps the left, or they perceive to help the left and hurts the rest of the country. The bottom line here is, where are the stats that show that white supremacists are out there engaging in massive violence? I, 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 there's, there's a compendium of information. The lodestar for crime statistics is the Justice Department's FBI uniform crime statistics. Now, the last time I looked at them was about a week and a half ago, I think. I pour through this, this material, and it's easy for anybody to access, or relatively so. It's boring, and you know, there's a lot of data there. But you can go to this stuff. The left regularly talks about white supremacy as one of the greatest threats, if not the greatest threat. But ask yourself, aside from the data itself, ask yourself anecdotally, the last time you heard anything concrete from the media about attacks by white supremacists. Really think about that hard. They talk about it a lot, and sometimes that talking can somehow residually give you the idea that, well, something must be going on. Mm -hmm. But listen closely. They never give you specific examples or body counts. You know, I hate to say it that, that graphically, but they don't do anything like that. And there's a reason. The reason is they don't have anything. Now, there are, there's like Dylan Roof, remember from several years ago in that yeah. horrific uh, circumstance. Uh, there have been maybe one or two others. There's the um, <clears throat> Uh, they they tried to lump in the, the shooting of the synagogues in Pittsburgh into white supremacy. Um, you know, that's a very elastic definition. Clearly, it had to do with anti-Semitism. Um, but white supremacy, they, anytime a white guy shoots anybody, they try to say it has to do with white supremacy. The bottom line here is the, the greatest threat in terms of being murdered, the, the people most at risk are blacks being shot by other blacks. Over the weekend, for example, we saw, or not, I think it was Sunday night in Cleveland, 17 people were shot, 17 and only four incidents. In other words, there are multiple shootings. They, almost every single one of the victims, well, put it this way, I don't know if any of the victims were white. All I know is that most of these shootings, or all these shootings occurred in heavily black areas. Draw your conclusions from that. It gives no one any pleasure to say anything like that, but you have to acknowledge facts and stop parading these fantasies before the American people to drive a political agenda, frankly, a corrupt political agenda, one that is already harming Americans. And I'm going to kind of a, a, a segue here um, that's unrelated, but in the last five months, the Biden administration in their zeal to reverse everything that Trump has done has caused the country enormous pain in terms of inflation, gas prices, uh, unemployment, you name it. We're no longer you know, exporting gas the way we were. It's just a stunning reversal of fortune, all because orange man bad. They hated the man so much, they forgot the fact that his policies were outstanding and working. So they have no problems. Uh, uh, this goes back to why they talk about white supremacy. It's because the political narrative works to their advantage, they believe, and they don't care about the substantive harm done to America. Pete, you talked about what Biden said, and Biden said that uh, white supremacy is the biggest threat this country faces. Uh, let's go to his predecessor and his former boss, Barack Obama, and see what he has to say about race in America. Lo and behold, the, the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory. Who knew that that, <laughs> that was the threat to our republic? But those debates uh, uh, are powerful because they get at 
uh, what story do we tell about ourselves? So Barack Obama, in mocking fashion, says, who knew that with all of the problems with the economy and climate change, that the biggest, uh, the biggest problem we face is critical race theory, he chuckles and says. Pete, um, how disingenuous is that, given the fact that critical race theory is rooted in Marxism, um, and that Marxism being the goal of the critical race theorists would mean the end to this republic. This republic would have to be torn asunder in order for Marxist theory to take root. Um, and the way you tear this, this republic apart, of course, is to divide it against itself. And that is exactly what they are doing by way of making whites the oppressors and making blacks always victims. And uh, critical race theory, of course, teaches you cannot be in between. You cannot be a non-victim nor a non-oppressor. You have to be one or the other. How can he just so casually mock the idea that critical race theory is a threat to this country when, quite frankly, it is the threat to this country? He mocks it so that we don't seize upon it and immediately reject it. Remember, this is the guy who talked about fundamentally transforming America. And I remember when he made that statement at the outset of his candidacy um, or or his presidency um, that it was, you know, typical political hyperbole. Lo and behold, he meant it. It was one of the things that I think a number of us uh, were alarmed about because they they are still implementing the transformation of America, and now it's proceeding apace. And one of the primary vehicles for accomplishing that transformation is critical race theory. You've given me the benefit of, I guess, toasting a couple of times now, and I asked the question about what is the greatest threat to America in both of those instances, and people called in and gave a lot of great answers, Uh, but among the answers was critical race theory. I don't know if it's the greatest threat. It's clearly a far greater threat than Biden's contention of white supremacy. But critical race theory, as you indicated, has the ability to completely dismantle the United States. It already has us, to a large extent, at each other's throats. And I mean that literally, not figuratively. You've probably seen the proliferation of videos out there of people of color attacking whites and, and, and frankly, people of color attacking uh, or certain people of color attacking Asians. But there's almost this impunity. But Pete, Pete, I want to I want to. I want, to, I want to emphasize something you just said uh, and, and actually object to part of it when you said it has us at each other's throats. It's not. It's only one group that is at the other group's throats. If white people were out there attacking black people indiscriminately, the way black people are attacking white people and Asian people indiscriminately, um, it would be over for those people. I mean, I mean, then you could say, well, it's, hey, we're all at each other's throats. We're not. The, the irony of critical race theory is that it paints people who are white as being racist and being uh, being, uh, you know, having supremacist visions and so on and so forth in, within their DNA. They are the oppressors and people of color are the victims. Always they are the oppressed. The irony of that is as critical race theory grows in popularity and in, and in education and in, in indoctrination, it is literally the reverse. White people are being victimized. White people are being oppressed. The victimizers and the oppressors are the people of color who now feel empowered to do anything they want in the name of of social justice and what you see to to build on that point is i was talking about the videos one of them that stands out most recently is that uh, amazon delivery truck driver 
who uh, pummeled that 67-year-old white woman who had her back turned to her and alleged that the reason why she was beating the crap out of the woman was because the woman had used some some racial slur, which, you know, it's frankly... Always uh, the answer. Yeah, exactly. Well, when I say at each other's throats, maybe I'm looking forward in a a horrific way. I'm not looking forward to it in anticipation. But this can't but produce a backlash. So for all the wokeaholics out there who think that they are now on the ascendancy because of critical race theory, that now, you know, people of color have this kind of hegemonic uh, view or uh, position that whites, they claim, used to enjoy for hundreds of years. Well, you have to always remember who's in the minority. At some point, there may be a backlash. And guess what? When whites are still 75% of the population, and you're seeing it increasing, where whites are saying, enough of this. There are a lot of people who are keeping their heads down because they, they don't want to be canceled. There are a lot of exactly. people keeping Bingo. their heads down because they still haven't figured out what's going on. There are some people who are being canceled because they want to be thought of as good people. Uh, I, I still think the first... Uh, aspect is the driving issue. But at some point, a critical mass forms where people say enough is enough. Uh, You can't defeat discrimination with more discrimination. Uh, Do we have discrimination in this country? Yes. Of 330 million people, you're going to have racial discrimination. Uh, Is there systemic discrimination, as President Biden claimed? No. That's a huge lie, except in a couple of areas there's systemic discrimination. It's by the left against uh, just about everybody, frankly, but mainly against whites and Asians. Uh, so th- this whole notion, pitting each other against our, uh, one another on the basis of race, is so incendiary and dangerous and, frankly, most fundamentally un-American. It should be rejected wholesale. And the people who traffic in this, and, and they are starting in the White House, need to be condemned loudly and roundly Every single chance we get. And as I said before, Biden was either lying or he's galactically ignorant. Yeah. I hate to say that about a president, but those are the best descriptions I well, can Well, I, I think and both I, can I be true in his case. In the right. I don't think yeah. it's in the destructive. And I, think, and I think he learned a lot from his predecessor. And he learned a lot from Barack Obama about this. As a matter of fact, let me give you a little, one more clip from Obama, because I played the part before where he said, who knew that critical race theory was the biggest threat that we face to our republic here? But, but listen to what he says about this issue. I also think that there are certain right-wing uh, media venues, for example, that monetize and capitalize on stoking the fear and resentment of... Uh, a white population that is witnessing a changing America and seeing uh, demographic changes and and do everything they can to give people a sense that um, uh, their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of them. So you and I, Peter Kersenau, by talking about this the way that we are, we are stoking fear and resentment of white people because their demographic changes are changing their ways of life. I got news for you. We don't have to stoke anything. The fear is real because they see and they listen to people like that New York psychiatrist who spoke as an invited guest on the campus of Yale University to their medical students and proclaimed how much she wanted to shoot white people in the head and then walk away with the blood on her hands with a bounce in her step knowing she had just done the world a favor. Of course we have fear as white people in this country. I can tell you that as a white man because it is becoming normalized to threaten and to harm and to attack white people with impunity.
Yeah, and, you know, you see daily, you see videos, New York, Chicago, other places where random attacks are occurring in subways, on the streets, against whites and Asians. Um, you know, it's not by Trump supporters. It's usually against people who are more likely to be Trump supporters. But yeah. it's proliferating, and we're seeing significant spikes in the crime rate. Because, yeah, part of it is because of defund the police and the Ferguson effect. But Bingo. it's compounded by the fact that we've got this rhetoric from the very top that seems to legitimize any attacks by, quote-unquote, people of color against whites. When you've got a Barack Obama saying something like that, and by the way, let me just segue into something related. Well, Peter Kersenow was about to segue uh, as we were responding, or he was responding to Barack Obama, who says that white, uh, rather right-wing media, and I'm sure he sees it as white-wing media, uh, but Barack Obama says right-wing media is stoking fear and resentment in the white population against the demographic and diversity changes in our population. Now, listen. I also think that there are certain right-wing uh, media venues, for example, that monetize and capitalize on stoking the fear and resentment of uh, a white population that is witnessing a changing America and seeing uh, demographic changes and and do everything they can to give people a sense that um, uh, their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of them. And we're seeing it right now, right, where uh, you would think with all the public policy debates that are taking place right now that, you know, the Republican Party would uh, be engaged in a significant debate about uh, how are we going to deal with the economy and what are we going to do about climate change and what are we going to do about lo and behold the the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory all right peter kirsten i'll continue there's a lot to unpack there i want to make a couple of points number one during the break i heard the correct number of people who had been shot i said 17 and that was the figure i heard i think sunday night it's now 35 people were shot over the weekend just to give you some kind of perspective as to what's going on here in, in the country broadly, and it's starting to sound like Chicago. Yes, Couldn't it have is. been escaping that kind of stuff. But a lot of this is a function of what we saw over the last year. It is a combination defund the police, Ferguson effect kind of mentality where anything goes, they countenance almost any kind of destructive behavior if it comes from one side. But the point I wanted to make, the segue I wanted to make, was related to everything we've been talking about, especially the person you just quoted. Uh, and it has to do with race relations and the advent of Obama and the suffusion of critical race theory into schools K through 12 and colleges and the effect of it. And it's it's a it, it, it's a minor, not, maybe not a minor data point. It's a data point, but it's one that I think is significant. And it's this: each year for decades, Gallup used to conduct a poll related related to how Americans perceived the status of race relations in the country today. And here's what's intriguing. When you go back to the beginning of the Bush administration, George W. Bush administration, remember, he's a he's a right wing white guy. Of course, things must have been horrible under him because white supremacy was uh, you know, supreme across the land. Race relations were were considered among blacks and whites. Seventy, nearly 70 percent of all Americans thought race relations were good or very good or somewhat good. OK, in fact, more blacks by eight points viewed race relations as being good or very good than whites were. 
okay, at the beginning of the George W. Bush administration. It pertained that way for quite some time. In fact, even rose to, to just before the end of the Bush uh, uh, presidency, 75% of white adults believed race relations were good, and 68% of blacks did. It's like it dipped a little bit among blacks, but still at a very high level. By the end of the Obama administration, those numbers had dropped by not three, not four, but 30 percentage points among both race racial groups. In fact, it dropped more among blacks than it did among whites, although it it then it then uh, peaked up a little bit among white adults at the beginning of the um, Trump administration. Okay, and and then it continued a a kind of downward path through the Trump administration. But you ask yourself, what has gone on in the last 20 years that would cause this precipitous slide? White supremacy? Give me specific examples. As I've said on a number of shows before, whenever they talk about systemic racism or white supremacy, they just say it very blithely, a blanket yeah. comment. And, and, and no one ever asks them, give me an example. Uh, you know, I've done that on a couple of occasions to some interlocutors, and boy, they get the deer in the headlights look. Give me an example of systemic racism. I can give you examples, as I did on Fox a couple of days ago, and the examples all come from the left. If you're looking for systemic racism, look no further than the Biden administration, where, in fact, they have been knocked down more than twice in the last week by federal courts of appeals because they were dispensing billions of dollars in COVID relief benefits on a preferential basis on the basis of race, giving it to, quote unquote, people of color. Blatantly unconstitutional. But this is stuff that I'm seeing over and over again. I have to say, let me let me let me give you another example. Pete. Let me jump in on this for a second, because. If you're looking for blatant examples of racism, you says you say you look to the left, look to the left and look to academia. And I repeat myself because that they are one in the same. And I want to talk. I want to go back to that psychiatrist. Not too many people uh, have heard about this. I'm afraid. Well, actually, a lot of people have, but I know a lot of people who have not. Dr. Aruna Kilanani is a New York based psychiatrist who told an audience at the Yale School of Medicine. Uh, that she had fantasies of killing white people. And I want to read her direct quotes so that you can respond to them. By the way, she's not black. She is of Indian descent, but she speaks of white people as her enemy. And I want to read this quote. It's, it's not too long. Nothing makes me angrier than a white person who tells me not to be angry because they have not seen real anger yet before, uh, she said, before talking about how she was systemically cut off, or excuse me, how she systemically cut off most of her former white friends about five years ago. So she won't even be friends with white people. Quote, I stopped watching the news. Once I started, I couldn't stop. It was also a public service. I had fantasies of uploading a rev- unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way, burying their body and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively guiltless with a bounce in my step, like I did the world a blanking favor. Later in the same talk, she claimed, quote, White people are out of their minds, and they have been for a long time. White people feel that we are bullying them when we bring up race. They feel that we should be thanking them for all they have done for us. They are confused, and so are we. We keep forgetting that directly talking about race is a waste of our breath. We are asking a demented, violent predator who thinks that they are a saint or a superhero to accept responsibility. It ain't going to happen. That's what she says about white people. They are demented, violent predators 
who are uh, out of their minds, and if I unloaded a revolver into their heads, I'd be doing the world a favor. Now, Pete, this is an academic, this is a leftist from New York talking to Yale, which allowed this to happen, by the way, and they're not trying to cover this up. As a matter of fact, she has, I believe, sued so that uh, her words can be shared uh, you know, with everybody. I, I guess Gail kind of limited the audience that could hear what she had to say. And now she actually wants more people to hear it. Can you imagine, and again, this is whataboutism, as they like to call it, if I or any other white person were to say the exact same things that you just heard about the black race, up unloading revolvers into their heads, doing the world a favor, et cetera, et cetera, walking away with a bounce in my step. I mean, so how can we be a nation that is white supremacist and white privileged if white people would be held to a different standard when using such hate speech and racist speech than people on the left would? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pure, unadulterated racism that's been countenanced by the fact that for the last number of years, under critical race and other uh, theories, mm-hmm. uh, so-called people of color are given a license to engage in racism and are not condemned for it. But keep in mind this. She's, she's not merely an academic. She's a psychiatrist, uh, a physician. In other words, physician, heal thyself. My goodness, can you imagine this? But you, you put your finger on it, Bob. This was a presentation to Yale medical students right and from what i've read she's also given presentations to my alma mater cornell and to columbia and the article was poorly written it said new york universities Uh, i don't know if they mean state universities of new york or nyu i'm not sure what they mean but nonetheless a number of institutions many ivy league schools and the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights does not have specific enforcement authority over something like this, but yesterday I, I was consulting with my counsel to uh, make formal requests to the Office of Civil Rights of the Department of Education, which does have direct jurisdiction over this, and the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice to immediately conduct an investigation on the basis of racial harassment. Who knows? A number of other things may be implicated at this point, because you know without question. Again, you talk about whataboutism. I think whataboutism is great. I think you should always engage in whataboutism. Always reverse the races just to see whether or not this, this kind of stuff should fly, because we should be treating everybody the same way. But nonetheless, if this had been a white psychiatrist saying this about blacks or any other quote-unquote people of color that i want to put a revolver to the head blow their heads up they have five holes in their head that's another comment that she made that they are demented that all these other things my goodness the hue and cry you could just imagine cnn new york times everybody else would be having this on their front pages top of the broadcast for days on end yeah and And it would all be blamed on donald trump i'm sure exactly and the biden administration would be all over this well i haven't heard a peep out of the Biden administration to this point. So uh, we're making a formal inquiry or a formal demand on OCR, uh, Office of Civil Rights, and the Department of Justice to do this because this can't fly anymore because it's been countenanced and no one even bats an eye. And what we're seeing is the proliferation of this kind of vile, racist commentary, which then leads into an assumption that, you know, it's a, a license is given to certain segments of the population to engage in this kind of conduct. It is, it is, you can't unpack this after a while. In other words, if this stuff is allowed to persist for not too much longer, it's going to have dire ramifications. It already has. And who knows what the outcome will be? It can't be a good outcome. It's 
divisive. We are going to disintegrate as a society if this is allowed to persist. We are instructing this kind of poison to our children, K through 12. It's yeah. out there. You've seen a number of reports. I know I'm, I'm in the middle of it, and some of our, our mutual friends have been in the middle of it. I've drafted legislation related to it. The, the fact of the matter is that it is pervading many of our K through 12, or most of our K through 12 institutions, uh, colleges, law schools, medical schools, and most frightening, it's now in the military. This yeah. is the, 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 the woke left which is nothing more than Marxism, they are winning a battle here, and we are just getting our boots on. We'd better get our act together and fight back extremely hard against this bile, this vicious poison that the left is using to disintegrate America. Well, I was glad she said what she said. Uh, I want to hear it. I want to get it out loud. I want to hear it out loud, rather. I want to get it out in front of it, and I want people to know exactly how they feel, that she verbalized it does all of us a favor. Peter Kirsten out. Terrific conversation, as always, my friend, and thank you so much for taking our audience through last Friday. I appreciate that as well, sir. My privilege. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Carol Platt-Lebow for townhall.com. In a recent ruling, the Supreme Court angered the left by denying illegal immigrants the ability to become lawful permanent residents of this country, even if they had gained temporarily protected status. For a case this controversial, it's worth noting the decision was 9-0 and authored by Justice Kagan, an Obama appointee. This is the seventh unanimous holding in less than a month. Was the court trying to send a message? After all, Democrats have been threatening to pack the Supreme Court in order to get outcomes more to their liking. Seeing the Supreme Court's institutional credibility in jeopardy from this threat, it seems likely the justices are speaking through their decisions, quietly emphasizing that the court isn't as divided as Democrats claim. Good for them. The Constitution established three co-equal branches of government. Democrats shouldn't be trying to bully anyone in the judicial branch to get outcomes they favor. Doing so is a slap in the face to the rule of law. I'm Carol Platt-Lebow. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.